Thank you so much, Jonathan and musicians, for leading us today in worship. Uh, it's good to see everybody via the internet this morning. You able to see us. Of course, we miss seeing you. Uh, there's nothing like meeting together uh, in person. But as Kevin Knight just announced, and as you saw from my letter and video this past Friday, uh, we are taking a two-week pause from live worship. And I'll say more about that in a moment, but let me invite you at this time to go ahead and find Exodus chapter 20 in your copy of the scripture, Exodus chapter 20. And we'll be looking specifically this morning at the ninth commandment, and I've titled the message, Speaking the Truth. You may recall that about three weeks ago, I announced to you that we were taking a pause from the doctrinal study, and that we would be returning to that at some point in the fall, that last year during the COVID uh, shutdown, we were in the midst of a series on the Ten Commandments. And we had made it through eight of those commandments. And then the shutdown occurred. And since regathering, we've never finished that. And so I do want to cover the, the ninth and the tenth commandment uh, to you so we can understand all ten commandments better. And again, we'll, uh, we'll speak more about that, introducing the subject in, in a moment. I do want to speak a, a bit to the uh, situation of the shutdown and uh, I'd like to just read some statements that I have received this week from a representative at the Cabarrus Health Alliance a very kind and gracious and understanding uh, young lady and uh, she admitted that as a church that we were perfectly free to either receive the advice and suggestions uh, or we could decline. Uh, but let me just read some things that have transpired this past week. Uh, in conversations with the Cabarrus Health Alliance, we've learned that through their case investigation procedures, they were aware of 11, 11 positive COVID-19 cases that were associated with or had attended an event or service here between June 13th and July 2nd, and at least five of those 11 cases fit within the definition of what they refer to as a cluster. Now, some of you may be asking, what is a cluster? A cluster is a minimum of five COVID-19 cases with illness onset or initial positive test results within a 14-day period with plausible or possible linkage between cases. Now, as a result, they recommended this two-week pause of in-person gatherings to eliminate any further transmission. It's their experience that this strategy has been very effective in educational settings, religious settings, and business and community-based settings. And let me add to her statement there, I was able to speak with one of our Cabarrus Baptist Association pastors this week 
a church in the association very similar in size to Pitt's, very similar in DNA. And he said, Scott, actually we did that earlier this year. We, we took a two-week pause because we saw a spike in cases. And he said, let me just add a word of testimony to you that for us, it worked. It cleared out our cases and we have not seen a reoccurrence to that degree. This information that was passed along to us this week, we presented it and discussed it with all of the pastoral staff and the deacons at a specially called deacons meeting on this past Thursday night. And the decision was made without dissent to implement this two-week pause. Now, the Cabarrus Health Alliance uh, also included three other recommendations to us. And I'll, again, just simply read their words uh, to you. Number one, that congregants be made aware of the present situation. Number two, that congregants carefully monitor themselves and their families for COVID-19 symptoms. And number three, that congregants become fully vaccinated. Now, that last one up of course, is an individual decision between you and your doctor. Uh, as we implement this two-week pause, I want to ask you, as again, as Kevin Knight made reference to earlier, that we remember those families in the church who have been affected by COVID-19, most seriously at the current time, Bart Deese, as he's in the ICU. Uh, Michelle has set up a caring bridge uh, so that we can learn of updates on Bart's condition. And uh, we can give you more information on that, or Michelle would be happy to if you'd like to contact her. But just be praying for Bart right now and the other COVID-19 cases that we do have. Now, folks, as we turn to the uh, Ten Commandments... Uh, I want to remind you of just a few introductory thoughts that I gave you last year as we began this series. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to save. It's not to give eternal life. We see in the Bible how law and gospel work together. The law reveals to us how far short of the glory of God we fall and how we have to depend upon God's grace in Christ for salvation. The law also reveals God's standards of how his covenant people should live. A second introductory statement we could make is that the Ten Commandments can clearly be divided into two major sections. The first section deals with God and our relationship to him, and the second section deals with man and our relationship to others. And so it can be said that the, the Ten Commandments show two basic things. Number one, respect and reverence for God. And also, secondly, respect for man. I hope you have your copy of the scripture. Uh, you may even want to stand where you are in the privacy of your home as we read together. 
And I am grateful that we have a couple of members uh, of the congregation this morning, part of the worship team spread out. So at least I do have some faces to preach to. But join us in reading uh, God's Word together. And let's go back to the very first word of Exodus chapter uh, 1. I mean, Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And we'll read all the way down uh, through verse 17. And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the heaven. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Again, that's the commandment we'll look at today. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you are a God who reveals your word to us. That we might know how to have a relationship with you. How to be at peace with you. How to be reconciled to you. And once being reconciled with you, to live by faith day in and day out. Father, we thank you for all aspects of your word. For the full counsel of God. This is your inspired word. And we are reminded what the scripture says, that all flesh is as grass or the flower of the field that is here today and gone tomorrow, but the word of our God stands forever. And we stand on that promise that your word will not return unto you void, but will accomplish that which you please. Father, we pray that today it might be your good pleasure to do just that accomplish your purposes speak to every heart in those who are both here today and those watching from home we ask your blessings upon us in Christ's name we pray amen I want you to listen how 
uh, Dr. Philip Riken, the president of Wheaton College, introduces this commandment. And uh, from a book that he has on Exodus, I'll say that uh, in this message today, I'll be dependent on several of his thoughts. But listen to how he introduces the ninth commandment. He says, in December 2001, George O'Leary was on the top of the world. He had just been named head football coach of the University of Notre Dame. It was the dream of a lifetime. O'Leary was in charge of the one, one of the most prestigious sports programs in the world. Two days later, at the end of his first day on the job, the call came. A reporter had been trying to contact some of the guys who had played college football with O'Leary back at New Hampshire. The strange thing was nobody could remember anyone named George O'Leary. O'Leary finally admitted that he hadn't actually played football at New Hampshire. Years before, O'Leary had applied for a coaching job at Syracuse. He had some good athletic things he could have on his resume, but he didn't think it was an impressive enough resume to get a big-time college job. And so he decided to embellish his resume. Now, perhaps one of the most telling and disappointing responses came from O'Leary's brother. He said, is anyone trying to tell me that resumes are truthful? The brother went on to say, in the America we live in, the willingness to lie on a resume is an indication of how much you want the job. Now apparently the brother speaks for many Americans on this issue because according to a survey of nearly 3 million job applicants, nearly 50% of resumes contain one or more falsehoods. A columnist for Time magazine wrote, on the one hand nearly everybody condemns lying, on the other hand nearly everyone does it each day. What a sad statement. Let's hope he's wrong. Now folks as we study this commandment we need to see that God graciously gave the ninth commandment to safeguard the reputation of an individual. There are two precious things that you possess worth more than all the money and possessions in the world. And those two things would be your character and your reputation. Your character is who you really are. Someone has said that your character is defined by what you do when no one is watching. And your reputation is what other people say about you. Now, obviously, character is the most important. It's what drives the other. Somebody said that character is what the angels say about you before the throne of God. And your reputation is what men will chisel on your tombstone. So again, I think character is the most important and leads to reputation. Again, very important. Proverbs 22.1 speaks to the issue of character and reputation. It says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Somebody has written a poem entitled, Your Name. 
It came from your father. It was all he had to give. So it's yours to use and cherish as long as you may live. If you lose the watch he gave you, it can always be replaced. But a black mark on your name can never be erased. It was clean the day you took it and a worthy name to bear. When you got it from your father, there was no dishonor there. So make sure you guard it wisely after all is said and done. You'll be glad the name is spotless when you give it to your son. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Powerful poem. This commandment teaches us that it is a terrible sin to harm somebody's reputation by bearing false witness against them. And in a legal sense, it's an injustice to them, to their family, and even to the community at large. I hope you'll take some notes this morning. The first thing I would ask you to write down is defining the wrong that is prohibited. Now, of course, the immediate context of the ninth commandment would be the court of law, the legal system. To understand this uh, commandment here, it, it helps greatly to know something about the ancient justice system. There were few standards for the presentation of evidence. Ancient courts had to rely almost exclusively on testimony. In, in some cultures, a single witness was all it would take to condemn somebody. Now, we're going to see in a minute how it was different in Israel. But again, in some cultures, a single witness is all it would take. Now folks, even today with the presence of cameras everywhere and DNA evidence, so many other things, we still rely also on eyewitness testimony. If you've ever witnessed an automobile accident, the police officers probably pulled you aside and they recorded a statement that they wanted to get from you. You know, I've had to go to court before and, and get on the witness stand and testify about a crime that was committed at my former church. It was a crime that I had personally witnessed. There was a smash and grab of a lady's purse out of the car, out of her car in the parking lot outside of our church offices. And I chased the guys down and then called the cops. Now, my only intention was to get their license plate, not to try to confront them in any sort of way. Now, unfortunately, and it ended up getting a little dicier than that. When they pulled into a place where one of them worked, they pulled the car up into a bay, and I pulled into the lot behind them. Workers came out and stood arm in arm across the back of the car so that I couldn't get the plate. Now, Again, that's something that I wouldn't advise doing, something I wouldn't repeat in today's culture. Well, it was not exactly comforting to me that, to know that after I got on the witness stand, the gentleman being charged had family that had some of the biggest rap sheets in the county in which they lived. And they even had some violent crimes against them, according to the testimony of the assistant DA who was trying the case. 
But to show you the power of a testimony, the real kicker in the case was when the defense attorney asked the, the victim. He said, ma'am, how do you know that my client is the one you saw from a distance coming out of your automobile with your possessions and your purse? And she said, oh, that's easy. When he came out of the window of my car and he, and he stood upright and looked at me, she said, it hit me all of a sudden. This guy looks exactly like my brother. Well, that kind of settled it once and for all right there as she said that to the jury members. All of a sudden, the proceedings were sort of brought to a standstill and, and we learned that everybody could go home that the defendant had pled guilty on lesser charges and a deal had been cut. But again, that just shows you, even in our modern system, the power of a testimony. Now, in ancient times, like today, with a lot of crimes being considered capital offenses that were punishable by death, often the defendant's life was on the line. And so the words of a false witness could prove fatal. Now, in the providence of God, it was to be different in Israel. A defendant would appear before a jury of elders, and there had to be more than one witness. Deuteronomy 19.15 states that a matter has to be confirmed by at least two or three witnesses. Another protection concerned the execution of judgment. When someone was sentenced to die... His accuser had to throw the first stone, as was stated in Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. And this would hopefully be another safeguard for the defendant. Because after all, it's one thing to accuse somebody. It's another matter to have to be the one to lead off in their execution. And still another deterrent against false witnesses was that according to the book of Deuteronomy, again, if the testimony of the witness was found to be false, then the witness must suffer the punishment that would have been handed down to the defendant had his testimony been truthful. Now folks, I want you to think about that. All of those were safeguards that God built into Israel's laws to protect the innocent from frivolous charges. As somebody has wisely said, where there is no truth, there can be no justice. Let's look first of all this morning related to this. Bearing false witness or testifying falsely against someone. We can say that about defining the meaning of this commandment here. Proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 to 19 says, There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. I want you to think of what the Bible is saying there. This is a sin to break the ninth commandment. This is a sin that God hates. You see, we're not just talking about what man thinks about it. 
What does God think about it? God hates it. You know, I think of what they did to the Lord Jesus at his trial. They produced false witnesses against him. And they did the same thing with Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen was the first martyr of the early church. Now, can you imagine the judgment from God that those false witnesses faced when they later died and they had to go and stand before Jesus? Now, those illustrations show us that on the basis of a false witness, somebody's very life could be taken. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And that's certainly true. By means of the tongue, by means of the gift of language which God has given, we're able to either speak words that heal and encourage, or we speak words that hurt. We can speak words that build up, or words that tear down. That's something that we need to think about. God hates a false witness, and yet we see it all around us today. I mean, just look in the, in the advertisements we see today, how advertisers will embellish, possibly even state something that's not true about their product to make it appear more attractive. We see false claims that politicians make. It seems like bearing false witness is the M.O. of much of society today. And tragically, too many people have come to accept it as the norm. But again, I want to remind you that the Bible says God hates it. Israel took this sin very seriously. And again, that's why matters had to be established uh, with greater testimony. A second thing we could say in defining it is we broaden out the application of this commandment. It would apply to lying. Think of all the harm that lying has caused. The serpent lied to Adam and Eve in the garden. And the human race has suffered ever since. Satan used lies to bring about the crucifixion of Christ. Nero, the emperor of Rome... Rumor has it that he's the one that set the fires of Rome. He wanted to clear out some of the less desirable areas. And he wanted to rebuild Rome, that it would be more glorious. Well, when rumor got out that possibly Nero was behind it, he needed a scapegoat. So he blamed the Christians and they were persecuted terribly. Hitler lied to Germany concerning the Jews. And we know that six million Jews died. Jim Jones lied to his followers and he brought about the death of hundreds of them. Lying is very serious in the sight of God. A third application, slander. That's telling lies on people and twisting things to damage their reputation. People used to call it tail-bearing. Tattletelling or tail-bearing. The tail-bearer tells something not knowing whether their facts that they're telling are actually true or not. Now, listen to what Leviticus 19 verse 16 has to say on that. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. 
and then Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.13. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips in busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Sometimes the one engaged in slander peddles rumors, or that's usually what they're doing. And some people love to do that for some reason. There are some people that just seem drawn to that. And you know, you've probably heard them hide behind the statement they say. You know, when somebody says to you something and they preface it by saying, they say, you need to stop them right there and ask about who the they are and say, let's even go and talk to the they. Let's see what they claim about it. Folks, unfortunately, slander is something you can see all the time on social media today. People get on social media and they just say all kinds of things about people, whether it's true or not. You know, they, uh, people will even do this today about pastors. I was listening to the testimony of a pastor just yesterday who gave the testimony. He said one of his church members came to him and said, Pastor, I'm leaving the church. He said, why? And this lady had been reading a, a, a blog. And she said, the person who does this blog said such and such about you that you had done such and such. And he said, ma'am, there is no truth to that. She said, well, I believe the blogger. And he said, well, you want to go with me right now? Here, we can go and, and we, can, we can talk to the persons involved and we can see if that's really what I've done or not. She said, no, I don't want to do any of that. I'm just leaving the church because I believe what the blog said. Slanderous statements. God's people should never be a part of smearing somebody's reputation online in any way. Then there's gossip. That's another way that can be applied with this commandment. There's a story about a woman who went to her pastor and she asked his counsel on getting gossip out of her life. She wanted to, she wanted to repent of it. She wanted to get right with God. And here's what he told her. He said, ma'am, I want you to go down to the market. Go down to a farm somewhere where you can, where you can buy a live chicken and have them kill it for you. And then take that live chicken, walk home, and as you walk home, I want you to pluck all the feathers out of that bird. And time you get home, have everything plucked. She said, okay, I'll do that. And she did that. And then she came back to the pastor and she said, okay, I've done, I've done that. What's my next assignment? He said, ma'am, I want you to retrace your steps when you walked home from the market with that chicken plucking it. And I want you to gather up all of the feathers that the wind blew away. And she said, pastor, that's absolutely impossible. I can't do that. The wind's taking them away. He said, exactly, ma'am. That's the way it is with your gossip. You can be forgiven of it, but I want you to know that the damage you've done from it has spread and you can never correct some of the harm that you've done to people. Now folks, it may surprise you to learn that in Romans chapter 1, 
Paul lists the gossiper and the slanderer in the same list when he's talking about the murderer and the sexually immoral person. He puts the gossiper right in with that list describing people who have actually suppressed the truth of God and God has turned them over to their own ways. And where gossip and slander shows up, he says God has turned them over to a depraved or debased mind. Now, let me remind you also that the person who will gossip to you will also gossip about you. Let me say, too, that Christians can can have a sneaky way of gossiping. You know, we put spiritual clothes on it, don't we? We say, now, now don't tell anybody else about so-and-so just Pray for them. I wonder how God's going to respond to us attaching prayer to gossip. Then there's also innuendo. Innuendo. Somebody says, Pastor, is so-and-so a member of your church? So-and-so family? And, And you say, oh yeah, they just joined us recently. Wonderful people. And then the person says, well, pastor, I might know them a little bit better than you do. That's all they say. But what have they implied to you? Right there, they have cast doubt on the person's character. They didn't say anything, and yet at the same time, they said a whole lot with innuendo. And then there's silence. What if somebody is bearing false witness against somebody you know and and you go along or you say nothing? If we're in a group and say nothing while somebody's reputation and character is being dragged through the mud, we're guilty of, of not saying anything, not confronting that slander or lie or gossip. Folks, there is so much that is said in the Word of God about the tongue. Again, there just seems to be something about the sins of the tongue that we are drawn to. But you know, in James chapter 3, James warns us about the dangers of the tongue. The tongue is this little small member, but it can set on fire the very course of our lives, and it can be like a wildfire causing so much damage. Read James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12 this afternoon to see those warnings about the tongue. Now the second thing I want you to notice this morning is the origin of the wrong that is prohibited. We're going to move a little faster here, but the origin of the wrong that's prohibited. Satan. In John eight forty four, we see that Lying and bearing false witness is of the devil. Jesus said that the devil has been lying from the beginning. Now, no doubt, when he said from the beginning, Jesus probably had Genesis 3 in mind. When you look at what the devil was doing there in Genesis 3, he's falsely accusing and falsely representing God. He's calling God a liar. 
that God didn't really say that or mean that in his word. And so Jesus said when Satan speaks a lie, he's simply speaking out of his character. He lies because he's a liar and the father of lies. And so Jesus said when people lie, they just show who their father is. In John 10.10, Jesus said that Satan came to kill and to destroy. Satan literally kills and destroys lives, but he also begins that process by lying. He, He tells a person there's no God or that God doesn't love them. He tells them that God could never forgive them. He tells them that there's no heaven or hell. Some people believe that, and in the end, what do they do? They destroy their very lives and their eternity. Satan falsely accuses people before God. He he tries to destroy them that way as well. I think of Job. Satan tried to cast doubt on Job's character. Some people turn right around and show that they they are of their father, the devil, because they kill and destroy. Now, yes, some people kill and destroy literally. Or they may kill somebody's reputation and destroy somebody's reputation with their lies and gossip. Either way, they're showing if that's the way they live in a consistent manner, they're showing that they don't belong to God. Now, another scripture that shows that all lying and deceit is of the devil would be that found in Acts chapter 5. Peter said, why has Satan put it into your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He was speaking, of course, to Ananias and Sapphira. Satan was the source of what they did. Folks, God is never the source of lies or of deceit. Or of bearing false witness. Listen to what Paul says in Titus 1 verse 2. He says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Folks, we never have to worry about God lying. Wouldn't it be awful to get to heaven someday and God say, Aha, I lied to you, I tricked you. Well, that's never going to happen. God has promised us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has promised us the forgiveness of our sins. He's promised us His presence. He's promised us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. And folks, we can bank on God's testimony. He will never lie. Remember what was said in Revelation chapter 1? of Jesus, that Jesus is the faithful and true witness. The devil will always lie. He's the father of lies. But Jesus is the faithful and true witness. Folks, as God's people, we need to love the truth. Now let's look at God's solution in all of this. Let me read to you Ephesians 4, 22 to 32. I hope you'll turn in your Bible to that passage of Scripture. Paul says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. 
and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let them labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Boy, that's a powerful passage, isn't it? You know, Paul is indicating there that truth evidences a change in your life. Somebody who has received God's truth and lives by it, that's an indication that they are a new creation in Christ. So what would God's solution be? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to mention four brief things and then we'll close today. Number one, if you're outside of Christ, receive new life in Christ. If you're not a believer, cry out to God to save you, to convert you, to give you a new life and a new tongue along with your new life. Let God deal with your false tongue, your gossip, your slander, your lies. Let God deal with that. I think of a pastor who one time said that the biggest gossip in his church came forward one Sunday morning and said, Pastor, I'm convicted about my tongue. I want to lay my tongue on the altar. And the pastor said, ma'am, our altar is only 20 feet long, but go ahead, give it your best shot. Give your heart and life to Christ. Submit the members of your body to the Lord, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Secondly, resolve to live in righteousness. Daily yield control of your speech of all the members of your body to the Lord. That Christ would live through you expressing His righteousness in and through your life. Number three, reject lies. Turn away from old habits. The Bible calls that repentance. Gossip. Slander, false witness, lies, repent of it, reject it. And then one last thing that's difficult to do, but I think it's very important to do. If you have wronged somebody with slander or gossip or lies, maybe you've posted something about them on social media, 
Go to that person. Seek their forgiveness. God would have, as you get right with God in that matter, God would also have you get right with those that you have wronged. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for the Ten Commandments as they reveal to us your standards for your covenant people. Lord, we need the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to live according to your standards. God, we do ask for your forgiveness for where we have fallen short. And may we practice daily what Paul said. He said, I die daily. I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live. But the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the Lord Jesus who is within me. Lord, live your life through us. Father, I pray for that one this morning who might be convicted by the constant practice of an evil or a lying or a gossiping tongue. That, Lord, it may be possible that they walk that way as a way of life because they're not your child. If that's the case, convict them of that And draw them to faith in Jesus. Father, in the body of Christ, may our speech be salt and light. May our speech bear testimony that we are your children adopted into your family through faith in the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.